you have landed on the one and only podcast where you'll learn about the people and places that inspire life-changing travel. This is Dramatic Travels. Aaron Schlein here, and you have landed on episode number nine of the Dramatic Travels podcast. And something new and exciting going on in the Dramatic Travels world, I've started a Facebook group called Dramatic Travels Family. And I'd love for you to join, and you can learn more about it right there on the homepage, DramaticTravels.com. Right there at the top, there's a link to take you straight to that Facebook group, Dramatic Travels Family. So we're going to dive right into episode nine. My guest is Elizabeth Adelaide of DocuMama.org. And I had fun recording this episode, but this was a new experience for me. This was my first episode where I was under the weather. I was not my best in this episode, but the show went on and you'll definitely notice it in my voice. I'm, uh, I'm fighting through something, but you know what? That's the way it goes. And the show must go on. Uh, one bit of note before we move on. Also, uh, Elizabeth does discuss a little bit of a sensitive subject. So if you're in the car with your kids, uh, just want to maybe give it a second thought. She goes through a pretty delicate story about uh, actually a young man drowning in a river on one of her trips. And it's a very powerful story. But I understand also that it could be maybe not the best story for the young ones. So definitely be aware of that before you, you move on with the episode. So that's enough from me. Let's move on to episode nine of Dramatic Travels with Elizabeth Adelaide. Dramatic Travels family, I'm very pleased to introduce to you my featured guest today, Elizabeth Adelaide. Elizabeth, how are you doing? Are you ready to rock and roll? Doing great. Let's do this. All right. Elizabeth is a digital media producer who lives in New England with her husband and four kids. She's the founder of DocuMama.org and is the managing editor for World Moms Network. Elizabeth has worked on social media campaigns for nonprofits such as Save the Children, WaterAid, One.org, UNICEF, United Nations Foundation, World Pulse, and the Gates Foundation. Elizabeth, that's your official bio. Take a minute, expand on your personal and business life. Tell us about your world. So as you mentioned, I'm the mom of four kids. Um, I started off my career in filmmaking. Um, I worked on feature films and then documentary films and got my master's degree in documentary filmmaking. Um, Once I started to have my kids, I thought I would never, ever get to use that master's degree in my life again and travel to far-flung places to bring back the stories that I really wanted to tell. Um, But I found that once digital media came into um, our world and um, with the advent of the internet and um, blogging, I was able to get back into uh, what I had set out to do, which was to just bring back uh, cross-cultural understanding and stories from abroad and share them with people who may not get to travel to different places or meet different people from different cultures. And how much time passed between when you kind of felt like you had to hang up your your media producer hat, and then when the digital media age really came alive? So I'd have to say probably a good 15 years. And I was a stay-at-home mom just focusing on my four kids. They're all two years apart, so it was a pretty chaotic time period. (laughs) And I was very busy with that. So I was um, just primarily focused on them for... Um, almost 15 years, and then got to a point where they were all finally in school full day. So I could start thinking about getting back to work and um, had to figure out how I was going to do that. 
um, and was lucky enough to have now the opportunity to do it online through a blog as opposed to um, trying to get a film crew together and go on location. That's an excellent way to start. That's how I started. Firing up a blog these days is about as easy as tying your shoes. So that's that's pretty awesome, the age that we live in, if you're looking to put yourself out there in this digital media environment. So during that 15 years, what were you doing for yourself? I mean, you said you were you were a stay-at-home mom, which is awesome. And but 15 years is a long time. How are you keeping yourself occupied in that that creative bug? How'd you how did you feed that? Um, I mean, I've always been sort of creative, writing, painting, doing sort of creative hobbies along the way, but um really cooking for my family became a sort of creative outlet, but Really, when you have um, four kids, you know, the ages of six and under (laughs) ongoing for years, um, you know, it's kind of like a blur. It's a really a fog of a time I felt like in my life where I was just really focused on caring for them. And we did travel a lot with the first um, because my husband loves to travel as well with the first couple of kids. By the time we had our third child, when she was an infant, we did a little bit of traveling that turned out to be sort of disastrous and that put a screeching halt to travels for um, another probably five years at least. Can you touch on that disastrous trip for just a minute? I'd love to hear about it. Um, Sure. So we love to go skiing out West and our um, little kids had gone to the ski school out in Snowmass. They have a fantastic kids ski school out there and uh, which left my husband and I time to ski together. And it was a great family vacation. Um, So when I had my third baby, we brought her along as an infant. I think she was only three months old. No, she was probably six months old or so. You know, we wouldn't have taken her that young, I guess. But um, she was really little. And so we had to put her in the daycare at the mountain. Um, And so she did great there. They have a wonderful daycare as well. And that was fine. On the flight home, um, she screamed at the top of her lungs in a screeching, piercing scream. I had to stand up the entire time in the back of the airplane because it was so disruptive and loud. Um, that was actually after she threw up on the woman next to me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and me. So I was covered in vomit standing in the back of the airplane with my, you know, six month old infant screaming at the top of her lungs and just thought, you know, might be time to stay home for a while. How was the no. rest? Of, how was the rest of the uh, the flight with that poor woman sitting next to you? Oh no! Oh, it was a complete disaster. It was a total nightmare. But you know, we got home. We survived. Well, and I'm sure she's she's told that story to to a few folks over these past few years as well. Because that's not <laughs> that's not something you forget too easily. No, actually, the funny thing is that I had asked to switch seats with her to move to the aisle seat because I was in the middle seat, and she did not want to switch with me. <laughs> oh, she payback. So, I oh I was kind of like oh I was trying to you know give you a little warning but oh well yeah you uh, she had the opportunity and she blew it right before your daughter blew chunks that's right great story all right we're going to get into to more about traveling with your family but first let's get to know I want to get to know you and your travel experience a little better I'd like to start at the beginning. And here on the Dramatic Travels podcast, I always emphasize that your emotional memories are your most powerful memories. So let's start at the beginning and engage those emotions and tell us about your earliest travel memory and what made it so memorable. So um, 
I guess my my earliest travel memory, I had never, I'd gone to Puerto Rico, I think when I was little um, with my family. And that was kind of probably the most far from place I traveled with my family. Um, but with uh, my friend from high school, we went to spend a summer in Israel with her grandparents. And that was the first time I had really gone abroad. And it was not with my family. It was with a friend. We were 17 years old. And um, it was a really fun summer. I think my mom had sent me away thinking I was going to get this great cultural experience. And we were pretty much on the beach every day and finding the nightclubs and (laughs) uh, finding our way to a lot, you know, and uh, we had a great time. Um, So that, that was a really impactful summer. And that I think really sparked my my travel bug at that moment. And I had another really close friend from high school who was from Bolivia. And so the summer between our freshman and sophomore years, we went to Bolivia for the summer and we traveled around and visited her family. Um, And I'd say my most impactful early travel memory happened on that trip because we wanted to go visit the town called uh, San Ignacio where she had lived for, um, part of her a year there her freshman year of high school and the only way to get there at this time period was we took a cargo plane because it was in the middle of the jungle in El Beni in uh, Bolivia and so we I, I don't even know how we managed to do this at the time but we rented or got transport on some neat cargo plane that was going there and I think it had like some cases of beer that were tied down to the floor there were no seats so we flew into the jungle sitting on these cases of beer and holding onto the ropes. And I remember when we landed on the dirt runway in the middle of this little town, we flew up in the air, of course, upon landing <laughs> because there was no seatbelts. I can't even believe I did that at the looking back on it. Um, I can't believe you did it either. I It was insane and didn't think twice about it, of course, at that age. So um, and we landed and they opened the door and we went to get out of this airplane and I was just hit by that if you've ever been to the jungle by that kind of thick wet like musty earth smell and warm air and it just was so impactful and visually it was just the most verdant place I'd ever seen in my life it was just gorgeous gorgeous verdant jungle and I turned to my friend and I said I can't believe you never told me what this place was like I just I had pictured a village probably similar to the village you know in a town near me in rural Massachusetts or something you know I had never pictured a real um a really village that was undeveloped like that and it was just gorgeous and um really first time I had seen people living and experienced a lifestyle so completely different to what I'd grown up with. Wow. And that moment when you you felt like you stepped outside yourself for just a second or two there when you were describing that jungle. And I felt like you you were right back there in your mind. And I love those sorts of memories. And it sounds like you've got a really, really strong one from that, that welcome to the jungle moment you had in Bolivia. Awesome story. Thank you. So again, engaging those emotional memories, which you're obviously clearly very good at, when I ask you about a specific person who inspired you to travel, who immediately pops into your mind? My dad. Um, I would say I didn't know that until um, later in life, but um, he had passed away when I was 13 years old. 
growing up, we he continued to collect National Geographics that his father had started collecting from the very first issues. So we have um, the very first issues all the way up to when my father passed away in 1980 um, of his National Geographic collection. So flipping through those magazines, the only TV we really watched were, you know, um, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. You know, <laughs> that was my television. And um, when we sold our house, um, probably, um, years, I mean, decades after he had passed away, um, almost 20, would it be 20 years? No, uh, 18 years later, I found, um, in the attic, this library of travel books that he had read. They were all his books and they were many of the books that I myself had repurchased, not knowing that we already own them. Um, sort of the whole Isaac Dennison collection. Um, and uh, he had been a pilot as well. So all of these great adventure travel books of early explorers. And it was a revelation to me because I realized that that must be where I had gotten this love of travel from. And he was always so curious about different cultures in the world that somehow when I was young, it really sparked an interest in me that um, I pursued, but I had never known that it had come from him until that time when I found that book collection. Did you did you learn some things about your dad that maybe you didn't know when you when you found that collection in the attic? Um, yeah, I actually I did. I had no idea that um, that he had read so many travel books, and I didn't realize that he was so interested in travelogues, I guess, um, because he had a heart condition, so he was not able to travel, I think. Mm. Um, so it did, it really gave me a lot of insight into kind of his interest. It was, it was really cool. And any insight as to why you think he might've kept so much of that to himself? Um, that's interesting to me. I think I was just too young to really explore that passion of his, you know, he was always reading books. I didn't know what he was reading at the time. You know, he passed away when I was 13. So if you think about what you know of your parents when you're before thir the age of 13, you're really pretty self-centered, right? You don't think of them as actual human beings with their own interests and passions and life so much. You know, it's really all about what do you do for me every day or who are you in my immediate world? And so it sounds like you're on the other end of that relationship now with your four kids. Oh, it, it's payback time. Definitely. That's what parenting's all about is payback. <laughs> Absolutely. And I always try to do the best I can to remember what it was like to, to be a kid and the, the way I interacted with my parents and then try to use those, those memories as a parent now with my own kids. And it's really hard. You know, a lot of things you said, oh, I'll never, ever do that. I'm never going to say that as a parent. And I find myself doing and saying those things all the time. Exactly. Exactly. It's really nothing more um, self-revealing, I think, than parenting. <laughs> and it humanizes your own parents because you realize that you know they were people too, just the way I am. And they may probably said the same thing about their parents. And it's just this cyclical thing that goes on and on and on, probably till the end of time. But uh, you only, it's something you only really learn about yourself when you become a parent. That's right. Yes. And about your own parents too. That's true. Without question. Well, thanks for sharing that story about your dad. That's some real interesting insight. And to, to lose your father at such a, a young age, you know, really gives you a, a really an interesting perspective because you only had that portion of your life that what are you going to do for me portion of your life? And you never got to, to evolve into the adult relationship. So, you know, that's, you know, that's 
I really appreciate you sharing that story. That's that's deep stuff. Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it uh, it helped me feel closer to him, I guess, at that point too, because he had been gone for so long. But then I realized we really had this common bond that I think he would have loved. That kind of sounds like it could be a movie. Like, you know, you're in the attic and the dark attic and you're discovering all these things about your father and you realize, oh, this is where I got it from. And then, then you go off on an adventure to Bolivia in a, in a cargo plane sitting on <laughs> beer cases and raw meat. For example, you That's know, hypothetically, right. right? That's right. That's the next book project, right? <laughs> you bet. Get on it. So, Elizabeth, so getting back to your travels, you don't travel as much as you have without some low moments in your travels. Can you tell us about a low moment, something that really rocked you and paint us a picture and tell us that story? Um, when I was in my early 20s, I did a six-month trip overland across um, the continent of Africa, starting in Morocco. Um, we started in London, but we drove down over to Morocco and um, drove through in a... Um, a big cargo truck um, to um, Botswana. And that was um, camping the whole way. We would shop at local markets and um, buy what they had available, make the fire, cook our food. We all had different jobs, um, sleeping in tents. It was an amazing, amazing experience. Um, When we were a couple of months in, um, in Central African Republic, one of the trip participants um, actually fell into a waterfall where we were setting up camp and died. And um, we all sort of ran off when we heard another guy was with him when he fell in. Um, It had been a really uh, heavy rain season. The rapids were really strong. Um, He just kind of leaned over to splash himself and fell over and was swept away. And, um, So we all ran into the jungle along the banks of the river to try and see if we could save him or see him or hope he was caught in a fishing net or something from one of the local village. Um, And we um, dispersed and I got kind of lost and separated from the group who was searching, um, lost my way and had to climb up a big hill through this brush and... um, climb found a big rock and climbed on top of it. And I was sitting on this big rock in the middle of this high grass field that was um, up to my head that was on the bank of this sloping riverbank that was all jungle going back down to the river. And the river was snaking so far away from me. And the sun was starting to dip down on the horizon. And that for the first time in my life, I think I really became frightened for my safety because I realized I'm in the middle of this African landscape with wild animals, you know, snakes. I mean, who knows what's in these long grasses, who knows what's in the jungle, the river. Um, my friend was lost and I was lost myself now. And I realized I had to get back to the truck and our campsite before, um, the sun went down or I would be in big trouble. Um, so I, um, climbed off of the rock. And I, I actually, at that moment, prayed to my father. <laughs> and I, you know, I realized I just wanted to break down and cry and have somebody come and save me. But there's no 911 in, um, you know, rural Africa, like you just cannot call for a helicopter to come and whisk you away um, from that, that type of predicament. So, um, you know, 
I realized that the only one who was going to get me out of that scenario was myself. And I had to like, not just break down and cry, but really think about the safest and best way to get back to safety and, and um, help myself. And so that was really a moment of mortality, I think, because up until that, then I never thought about my own mortality. I never thought anything bad could really happen. Um, and unfortunately, these types of things happen all the time. But when you're young and carefree, you don't really think about it too much. So um, I climbed off the rock and I made it through the tall grasses. Um, I just listened for the river because I couldn't really see where I was going until I hit the jungle banks that went down. I saw a few um, African fishermen in the distance, or I thought we were fishermen. Um, so I crashed through the brush, just heading straight towards them. Um, because I knew that they could help me find my way back to our campsite. Um, so I crashed through the brush down this riverbank, had to kind of cross over some little inlets of the river. And finally, when I approached them, I come crashing out of the brush. It turned out to be two little boys, probably, um, eight and six, <laughs> half naked bathing by the side of the river. Um, and so they see this wild woman come out. I had branches stuck in my hair. My arms were all scraped from the brush. And um, I did not know much French, but I tried a few words to say, you know, um, the big truck. <laughs> Have you seen a white guy uh, swimming? You know, it's like little uh, broken sentences. And uh, the older boy sent his brother home. He, he, um, was really sweet and walked me back to camp. It was dark by the time we got back to camp. It was probably, um, you know, at least a couple miles. <laughs> we were so far and, um, and got back to the camp and nobody had found my friend. So um, he showed up a couple days later and a, a fisherman found him and we had to leave him behind. So that was a, a big life lesson. Wow. That, that story had everything. My God, what you, you know, you have at least, at least a couple movie scripts in you now for sure. I mean, seriously, that, I mean, just the, the tragedy of, of the young man drowning and then everything that happened yeah. to you. And then just that reflective moment sitting on the boulder processing everything. And I mean, gosh, what a, what an unbelievable, just really short span of time that was, you know, when you, like you said, when you look back, at your life before that, you never had any real brushes with mortality. And then all of a sudden to, to go from that to just this insane few hours. I mean, how, how could you not come out of that just a little bit different, if not a lot different than when you went in? Yeah. The other, um, interesting in insight it gave me was there was a, um, a sort of story in the village that you, we heard they don't go swimming in the river because there are spirits that live under the river that would grab you by the ankles and pull you down to live with them under the river. Um, and it helped that whole story sort of illustrated how um, these local legends come into being, I think, because a lot of these local legends are really safety stories for the population, right? Because there is something under the river that will grab you and pull you under. And we know it as the undercurrent, but, um, you know, they, they call it spirits who live underneath the river and 
we're going to grab your ankle. So that was really kind of interesting insight into cultural, cross-cultural understanding, I guess. Yeah, human beings everywhere, regardless of where you are in the world, we all crave explanation for things. And just like you said, we, we know it as the undertow. And for them, it was the spirits who wanted you to live with them under the river. That's 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 pretty remarkable. And then unfortunately for that young man, he did get to go live with the spirits under the river. What was the, the follow on on that story, you know, as far as, you know, notifying his family and getting getting him back to where he his body back to where he needed to be? Do you did you get any follow up on that? So we were, I think, about at least five hour drive from the nearest town, um, nearest city where there was, you know, post office or any sort of facilities um, for that type of thing. And it was rainy season, which means that the roads in that area that we were in um, turned to mud. So you could end up stuck there for, you know, it's a might be a five day drive if it's dry, or you could end up stuck there for a week on the side of the road in a mud um, river. So we had to actually bury him there in the village um, cemetery. And um, the guys from our trip kind of got him out of the river and we buried him right there there and had to um, leave him behind. And that was the hardest thing to drive away and not have him with us and uh, find a missionary station. So there was a missionary station that was, you know, not too far away, um, you know, within a day or so that we could go and radio the American embassy, you let them know, um, and then they contact the family and, and that's all we could do, which was heartbreaking. Yeah, that is heartbreaking. I really appreciate you sharing that story. That's, that's, that's very, it's very moving. And just, you know, a lot of, you painted a whole great picture. I'm just imagining all this going on in my head and it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. It had, it had a great effect on me. I really appreciate you sharing that story. So let's travel now to the other extreme. Let's uh, talk about one of your most inspirational travel moments. Can you take us there and really share with us how that changed you? Um, gosh, there's so many inspirational travel moments along the way. Um, just travel is just, you meet the most incredible, generous people and, um, you know, you backpack into a village in the middle of nowhere and people will take you to the chief's hut, like uh, in Indonesia and they just give you a bed and that's where you stay as a visitor. You know, no, they don't know you, you don't share language. People are just really, you find most of the world so open and giving. Um, the first instance that I experienced that was as a backpacker in Europe, we were uh, doing a URL trip and a girlfriend and I we're on the train from Spain to France and um, overnight we were robbed and had lost a couple of small things. Um, luckily not our passports and money, but um, you know, some, a couple of backpacks were taken. And uh, when we woke up in the morning, people got on and off the train and um, a older woman and her um, daughter entered our compartment and uh, we were, starting to talk to them. She was asking where we were going. She spoke French. Um, I don't speak French. Um, I speak English. She didn't speak English, but then we somehow uh, figured out that we both spoke Spanish and we were able to communicate. And I told her the story that we had just been robbed and um, she felt so bad for us. She was so sweet. She took my friend and I in for um, 
part of the week in Paris and housed us and fed us and her daughter toured us around the city. So when it, that was my first experience in Paris and people always say, oh, the French, they're not very nice. You know, if you visit Paris, people are so cold. Well, my first experience was the polar opposite. This woman could not have been kinder and um, she really just took pity on us and took us in and was so amazing. And that really opened my eyes to just the generosity of the human spirit and um, the kindness of strangers. Yeah, Dramatic Travels family, there are wonderfully kind people in every corner of this world. Please get out there and meet them. And Elizabeth, my my experience with the French people is is right on par with yours. I, I'm not quite sure where that that stereotype came from, but I've had nothing but positive experiences. I did take four years of French in high school and college, and I always try it out. I always use my French when I'm there, and perhaps that gives me a little bit of an edge, but I've had nothing but, but positive experiences time and time again in my trips to France. So... Now let's bring up to present day and let's talk about let's talk about documama.org. Tell us about tell us about documama why you started it, what you're up to and what you're excited about for the future. So I um I started Documama in 2012. I had been doing some writing for a friend's blog uh, called a mom knows best that she um eventually had to close down because it conflicted with a new job that she took. So um, she had 12 writers who were contributing to this magazine style format blog. And that was the first time um, once my kids had gotten back to school that I was again, sort of using my creativity and voice and um, writing about motherhood and travel. And I loved it. I realized I really missed that. And I really loved getting back into um, storytelling. And so I learned a lot from that experience um, technically. So I, you know, learned how to sort of start my own blog and thought, um, at first I, I thought it might be sort of about motherhood cause I was really still in the thick of it, um, with little school age kids and little kids. And, um, but as I, I did something that, um, is similar to, I, I call it, it's like tear sheeting. I, I t- tear pictures out of magazines or, uh, take pictures of things that I see that inspire me and that really move me. So if it's the color blue that I just think is the most gorgeous thing, I'll take a picture of it. Or if it's a story about somebody doing something incredible, I would tear it out. And I kind of started this file to figure out what I really want to focus on now that I'm going to relaunch my career in some direction. And it all came back right back to that sort of anthropology documentary um degree that I had pursued when I was younger. And I realized that that was still my passion, that um, human cross-cultural storytelling was is just still what really lights my fire. I just love um, learning about different cultures. And so I wanted to share that on Documama. And um, so luckily, um, blogging was just a new sort of medium to do that storytelling. Right. Storytelling is that's how we connect. That's how human beings have connected for for generations, for eons, really, since the beginning of the time of time without our stories and without people like you to, to share them and keep them alive. You know, the, the, the lessons we learn uh, on this planet as human beings would die with us. So we need more people like you is the is the moral of that story. So check out Elizabeth at documama.org. That's D-O-C-U-M-A-M-A dot org. 
I'm chatting today with Elizabeth Adelaide. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our nonprofit partner, and then we're going to be right back. Elizabeth's going to share some of her best travel tips. Stay with us. Every student deserves a chance to expand his or her global education, regardless of socioeconomic status. I believe this to be true, and so does Flight. Flight is a nonprofit organization that empowers students in underserved communities through transformative travel experiences. Flight was founded in 2015 by travel author and blogger Matthew Kepnes, better known as Nomadic Matt. Flight works with students in underserved communities to promote the benefits of travel, education, and cultural awareness through the creation, funding, and management of overseas trips. Since 2015, Flight has sent three groups of students to Mexico, Cuba, and Ecuador, and they're in the process of selecting their next school partner for a trip this coming summer. Flight was built with the support of donors who believe that travel can positively change the trajectory of one's life and create more well-informed global citizens. I encourage you to visit DramaticTravels.com forward slash flight. There you can find links to join the flight community and donate to this fantastic organization. Now flight is spelled F-L-Y-T-E. So that address again is DramaticTravels.com forward slash F-L-Y-T-E. That's DramaticTravels.com forward slash flight. All right, Dramatic Travels family, we're back with Elizabeth Adelaide, and it's time to turn up those earbuds because Elizabeth's going to be teaching some lessons, dropping some travel knowledge. Elizabeth, can you share with us, in your opinion, the best way to capture travel memories? And do you have any tips for using that method effectively? To capture travel memories, I love to um, take photographs and try and get video clips. Um, And also, I do take notes along the way. Um, Note-taking is kind of difficult. It's a little cumbersome when you're actually in the thick of it or traveling. So um, I do journal, and I try and do that. Um, in, In the very least, write down what we did each day and the different places that we visited because, um, otherwise it just all blurs together. And, um, it's so important for me to try and keep everything, um, documented, you know, because that's, that's my thing. I just love documenting travels. You're the docu-mama. That's right. (laughs) Excellent. So can you share with us a specific lesson or a skill that you've learned from travel that helps you navigate everyday life? I would say that travel really teaches you how to wing it (laughs) in a way that um, everyday structured life might not. Um, There are just so many instances that arise when you're traveling that are unexpected, um, different um, routes that you need to take that you weren't expecting to take or um, different roadblocks that come into play and you really have to become flexible and be patient and become adept at changing plans um, and changing direction without, um, you know, worrying about it too much. And just knowing that every detour that you take is, is going to be equally as wonderful or exciting and just different. Absolutely. That flexibility is key, whether you're on the road or at home, being flexible is the best way to be. So, Elizabeth, can you introduce the Dramatic Travels family to a travel-related book and tell us why it's so special to you? 
When I returned from uh, my six-month trip in Africa, I discovered this author, Kuki Galman, and she um, had written a book called I Dreamed of Africa about her time living in Kenya. And it was just, it's a beautifully written book. It's just gorgeous to read and um, just really captured what I had experienced um, aesthetically and um, some of the cultural aspects there. I loved reading that. And then she also has a short story or chapter book, um, just short chapters called African Nights. And that's also really beautiful um, short stories about her time there. So I highly recommend those. Excellent. And can you share a uh, a gadget or a tool or a resource you use every time you travel that just makes every trip better? Aside from my camera, which is, you know, a constant companion, um, we have a charger called a Mophie and it's a, an ultra um, charger station, which has, I think, three different USB outlets and it goes for, I think, something like 30 something hours. And it is the most fought, uh, um, fought over item in my backpack <laughs> between all six of my family members, because yeah, we're, we're constantly trying to charge. I mean, m- mostly for photographs on our iPhones nowadays. My goodness, I can see why. So I have a, actually just thought of an, a question. I was talking to a friend just yesterday and she's getting married. She's like 28, 29. She's about to get married. And she was talking to me about how she constantly hears from people who are married and people who have kids about, oh, you, you know, get it out of your system now, talking about travel. Get out there, see the world now, because once you have kids, it's, it's over with. And I told her that I disagree with that wholeheartedly. What's your take on that? I, I agree with you. I, that's not true at all. I think it's so much fun to travel with kids. Um, you really get to see things with fresh eyes again. So even if it's someplace you've never, you've already been, you see them with fresh eyes. And if it's new to all of you, you see the childish wonder that, you know, even as an adult you have when you travel, but it's really exciting to see it through a child's eyes um, and experience it with them. We do a lot of traveling with our kids. Um, You know, we have four kids. We did take a little break um, when we had the babies for probably five years. Um, but um, have really resumed it. And we do a family trip every year. And um, I would say go for it, take them, travel. Kids are so flexible and they can just really roll with it. Um, I think it all depends how the parents handle situations and kids just kind of go along. Yeah, I agree. I feel like too often that the kids get catch the blame for why why the, tra- the traveling isn't happening. And really it's the parents. It's you're not willing to... You're not willing to put yourself out there and and take the kids traveling. The kids are absolutely flexible. They're willing to do pretty much whatever you do and wherever you're going to take them. They're not the problem. So I always tell people to just you know turn that you know turn that reflection in the mirror. Look at that reflection in the mirror and you know really kind of assess yourself because you very well might be the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd also say you don't need a lot of money to travel. I mean, it, it is can be expensive, but, um, as a family of six, um, with our kids, it's really hard to find hotel rooms that fit that many people. And so we started staying at youth hostels. Um, one thing about youth, youth hostels is they're always in the most fantastic locations. They're in amazing locations. Like in Croatia, we stayed inside, um, one of the old Roman castle villages, you know, and we were right in there staying in this youth hostel. Um, 
and the kids love it. We're in a bunk room. They ha- usually they have like a six person bunk room with a bathroom and suite sometimes. So um, that's a great way to travel um, on a budget with a big family. Yeah, I agreed. I discovered youth hostels when I was a youth, when I was in my early 20s, backpacking through Europe, and I absolutely would stay in any one of those places again today in an absolute heartbeat for the reasons you mentioned. They're always in the greatest locations, and you, you tend to meet the coolest people, and you can travel longer because the hostels are a heck of a lot cheaper than hotels. You can stay on the road. for. We stayed on the road for almost an entire summer spending night after night in youth hostels and on trains. And we managed to see most of Europe on a very tight budget. So absolutely golden advice, Elizabeth. Thanks so much. And before we say goodbye, I could, we, I think, I feel like I could go on and on with you all day, but I've got to let you go at some point. But before we say goodbye, where can the Dramatic Travels family go to learn more about you and get in touch? So you can visit my um, website, documama.org. Um, I also do some writing um, and am managing edi- editor for World Moms Network, which is a network of mothers who write from all over the world on various topics. Um, that's a really cool community, uh, global community. Um, and um, you can contact me through my blog. I'm on Instagram at Elizabeth Adelaide, on Twitter at Elizabeth Adelaide, um, and on Facebook as Mama. And no need to write that down. Right now, Dramatic Travels family, you can just head right over to DramaticTravels.com and everything that Elizabeth and I have talked about today is going to be on her show notes page. Just go to DramaticTravels.com and use that search bar right there on the homepage. Type in Elizabeth. It's going to take you straight to her show notes page. Everything we've talked about today, all the links, all her book recommendation, her resources, and all the other cool stuff we talked about, it's going to be right there. Plenty of links. You're going to learn everything you want to know and get to know Elizabeth. All her contact information is going to be right there for you. Elizabeth Adelaide, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Really, really appreciate it. I hope you had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, my friends, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Elizabeth Adelaide. And before you take off, just wanted to tell you one more time about the new Facebook group, Dramatic Travels Family. We're going to have a whole lot of fun over there, really going to bring that family travel community together, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. So please join us. Head to DramaticTravels.com, and right there at the top of the screen, there's a link take you straight to the Facebook group. Join us, please. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, guys, until next week. Uh, Aaron Schlein signing off here. And remember, your emotional memories are your most powerful memories. So put some emotion in your motion. We'll see you later.